and you thought vinyl left. You're listening to the Vinyl Community Podcasts. Everything vinyl. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. This is David Bianco from the YouTube channel Safe and Sound Texas Audio Excursion. Welcome to today's Vinyl Community Podcast. So we're doing something a little different this week. I'm interviewing a gentleman who's really taken a business model and advanced it well beyond what his first intentions were. And I thought it was really interesting to understand his journey, where he's at and where he's going. I think these kind of things are very, very positive for the vinyl industry as a whole and it shows what some innovation and some creative thinking can do. So I've sat down with G.I. Sanders on a wide-ranging set of topics and on this part we're going to be covering the business that he started here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and how it has grown and it has uh, lived through the pandemic and done very, very well afterwards and how he's really kind of just gone with the flow and seen where it would take him. And I really think it's an example of what people can do when they have a passion for something, which GI obviously does. So let's listen in on part of that interview with GI Sanders. GI, thanks for taking the time today. I know you're a, you're a busy guy. And uh, GI, I didn't know until I, I had gone into several of his locations and noticed uh, what he was doing with uh, selling vinyl and then through Facebook and friends and various things tracked down through who he was and uh, started a conversation. So I thought it'd be interesting to share, you know, his journey. Uh, he's uh, 20 years or so younger than I am. So he, uh, he came through vinyl at a time when vinyl wasn't a very big thing. So a uh, totally different perspective so gi thanks for coming in appreciate you you taking the time absolutely man if anybody knows me um they know that i will talk about records at nauseum so when you said hey you want to get on a zoom chat and talk oh sure that's all i ever do it, it, regardless if it's on zoom or on chat or wherever it is so i'm sure. i'm always game to talk about vinyl well, great. Yeah, I. that's great. We're kindred spirits in that way. And it's very <clears throat> interesting to me, uh, having grown up with it as a normal thing. And then uh, guys like yourself that really had early struggles finding it. And now the whole resurrection of it that's occurred in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite amazing. And uh, things have changed a lot. So, you know, why don't you start with giving us a little bit of your background, how you got introduced, and then kind of morph into uh, the business that you brought into the DFW, meaning Dallas-Fort Worth, if you don't know, in Texas, U.S. of A, because we're international when this goes on YouTube. Uh, you know, that, that what you brought into our uh, space here of, of a very unique way of approaching bringing vinyl to enthusiasts. Take it away. Yeah, so so I've been collecting. I mean, I, I I think I probably bought my first record legitimately when I was probably twelve or thirteen with my own money. I mean, there were records around the house when I was younger, um, but you know, pretty much when I started to go from junior high to high school, so you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, right in that period is when music in general started to become really important for my life. Um, prior to that, it was just kind of you know background noise more or less. Um, but at that point is when I uh, started to really pay attention to what was going on. And this is the late 80s, early 90s, <clears throat> which was a 
really exciting time for for new music. Um, and that's when I kind of grasped onto it and started to realize that there are record stores and for whatever reason, uh, you know, this is the CD era, obviously the early nineties. Um, so I had plenty of CDs cause that's, it was much more affordable those days. Um, but I remember just being enamored and kind of attracted to the album art of, of the record of the vinyl LP. Uh, and so while all my friends were doubling down on CDs, just as much as I was, I was also kind of picking up vinyl records, um, a lot at thrift stores and garage sales, as, as you'd expect. But then every now and then I'd save up my money if it was an album I really liked. I just felt like it was uh, a more a bigger statement to own it on vinyl. And, uh, and I've kind of held that all the way through uh, my adult life as well. Um, so I collected all on the way, you know, obviously ramped up in recent years as you become an adult and you actually have money to spend that helps um, when you're when you're a kid in your teens and your 20s and yeah. you know you just don't have that expendable income and so I collected all on the way um, but it was you know sporadic and it would go in peaks and valleys but really the last um, probably 10 like you mentioned kind of 10 15 years um, is when I really started to um, dedicate real time and effort and, and money to it. Um, and then especially in kind of the last five years, which is when I started in TX vinyl or North Texas vinyl. Um, you know, it's been about, I guess, about three, three and a half years since I started it conceptually. Um, and now it's kind of blossomed into not only the physical locations, which I have in our area, um, which are kind of booths inside of larger antique malls. So they're not standalone shops. So I'm not there. People ask me all the time or tell me all the time, Hey, I'm going to swing by the shop. I'd love to meet you. I'm like, well, it's not exactly how it works, but I've got the physical. So I've got the physicality to those locations, which is cool because I restock them each week. I have three of them right now in the look in the Metroplex. Um, and then uh, also I have a, an online presence, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, and then my YouTube channel, which I focused on most recently in the last couple months. Um, so, yeah, so it's kind of started to morph into this, well, one, it's just kind of, um, you know, an extension of me and my collecting as far as what I stock, what I sell, what I'm into. Those are all all combined, more or less. There's not a lot of uh, lines drawn there. Um, and then it's kind of it's kind of turned into this kind of concept, if you will, to where I have, um, you know, not only the physical stores, but the online component and have started to now kind of be additive with those with the YouTube channel, which is now brought in this kind of educational component, because that's mostly what I talk about on YouTube, whether it's education about the industry or specific records or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. it might be. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of morphed into this cool little thing, um, kind of a brand, if you will, that has, uh, has really been organic and it has evolved a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's amazing, because it really is a a different take on finding uh, vinyl. And it's not kind of where you expected at first. I know when I went in and was looking for your store, because I found it through, I think I told Google Maps, uh, where are the nearest uh, record stores from here or whatever. Sure. And, uh, and I think I was up near Frisco. And that's when yep. I first encountered uh, one of your, your locations. And I I'm looking around outside for a record store, of course, and I don't see you one. You and everybody <laughs> else. You and everybody yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. And so finally, I just got persistent. I said, oh, I'm going to go in this big building because it keeps telling me it's here. 
and she's like, "Oh yeah, it's in the back corner." You know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Know, and, and I said, "Oh, okay, okay, oh, yeah." Yeah, it's an interesting it. model. Like you know, we've all been in. All right, I would suspect most vinyl collectors have been in thrift stores or antique malls or swap meets or those types of buildings or situations. And I was really, to be honest, I was kind of uh, hesitant starting out, especially in my area where I'm at, um, which is kind of, um, you know, north of, north of downtown. I'm very much in a, a, a suburban area. That's not, you know, there's no foot traffic of people looking for records. It's not like an arts district or anything like that. Right, so right. I'm out in the suburbs, you know, through and through. And so I didn't really know if it was going to work. And this is again, going back about three years. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised about the number of people who are in my very hyper local area of my of my initial location, which is right where I live in, in Highland Village, which is a Louisville area north of, of yeah. like 30 minutes north of Dallas, Texas. And um, and I was just blown away that there were people interested in, in and it just goes to show you again, going even this is again three years ago, that it was real it, it was really catching hold and starting to become a real thing for a lot of people beyond just the the total enthusiasts, people who have been collecting forever, you know, and then and then the pandemic hits and all bets are off at that point. And that's when <laughs> really, really caught fire in a big way. And 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 that was a game changer and an eye opener too, because you know, retail shut down. And I, I'll be honest, I remember thinking, well, maybe that's it. You know, I had the little store open for about a year and <laughs> retail shut down. And I didn't know if this antique mall is, is even going to open back up at all or how long it would take. And so I was kind of like, man, it was a fun little thing. And that was kind of it. And my, my kind of last ditch effort was like, well, maybe I'll just double down on doing online stuff while we wait this out. Cause no one knew how long it was going to last, you know, sure. at all. And, uh, and that's really what, uh, what set, you know, set fire to the whole thing is because I doubled down online and that expanded, my audience so much. And then at the same time, you had all these people stuck at home looking for things to do and, uh, and records became a thing again, in a lot of people's eyes. And it's just, uh, the demand has, you know, skyrocketed since then and isn't stopping at all. So yeah. it was, uh, it was an interesting time period when I happened to start this right, you know, again, a year before the pandemic hit, uh, just, you know, perfect timing, um, for lack of a better phrase on, on how it kind of helped the evolution of NTX vinyl. Yeah, that that is interesting because yeah, it's kind of like you start a business and then uh oh, you hit this uh, hit this situation. You know, the back the other thing I think about is people were getting some uh, I'll say some free money from the government, expendable income as that was well. The thing. That was and, the I mean, thing. I remember the day I walked into a Walmart when the pandemic hit about four four or five months after that, and I go in the in the back where the TVs are and they're wiped out, literally wiped out. And I'm like, did you guys have a robbery or what? You know, I mean, literally, it was like. What, what happened? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, so how did you, you know, when, when you come to that whole situation, so now you have a physical space set up to people to go to that place isn't available. Did you bring your inventory back? How did you yeah. deal with the logistics then? Yeah. So I remember, and again, this is early days. So I just had one shop. Now I have three. So it was much simpler then. So yeah, I remember when the, I got the, you got the phone call said, Hey, we're shutting our doors on this day because it's a mandate. So I went up there, pulled 
almost, I think almost all of my records out, which at that time was, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe seven or 800 records. Let's say it was probably less than a thousand records. So again, it wasn't, wasn't big and it still isn't. They're small booths, very curated, very much uh, all about quality versus quantity. Cause I don't have a lot of, a lot of space. Um, so yeah, I pulled them all out and, you know, I'd been engaged in, in Facebook groups, the vinyl community online for years prior to that. So I knew the lay of the land as far as like what to do if I wanted to. My whole thing was uh, with having a physical location was I wasn't really too excited about shipping records. All of a a inventorying them in my house and having them and then have to deal with shipping and all the logistics of that. Right. That's why I opened the physical shop. It's like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather have a physical location where I can drive a quarter mile or across town, drop off some good stuff, advertise it and let people come and get it. Like that was the whole model. And it still is from the physical side. So when retail shut down, yeah, I went and grabbed it all. I had my listening room, which is where I'm at now. I had crates everywhere of all the records that I brought and I said, all right, how am I going to sell these? And that's when I started doing auctions and giveaways and raffles and just online sales and all this type of stuff through not only primarily my own Facebook page, NTX Vinyl um, and Instagram and all that, but also I started doing more in some of the other groups. And then eventually I started my own group, which isn't for selling, but still creates the community. Um, and, and like I said, yeah, just the, uh, the exponential growth for the company, for the brand of NTX Vinyl, because of all that, I mean, I can't over, I can't, I can't, you know, understate or overstate how important that is um, to the story of kind of what's got me to where I am. If if retail hadn't have shut down, I don't know how long it would have taken me to really build that online presence. Um, sure. You know, I was already building it, but it was just slow. You know, and then, yeah. Yeah, and it just put fuel to the fire. You had a catalyst. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a it was the perfect scenario, like I said, of, of people being stuck at home, looking for something new to do, looking for something fun. Um, big, you know, you had the Walmarts of the world starting to get involved with selling vinyl then too. And you know, it was just again so many different things um all kind of coming to a head at once during that that period of you know, early mid 2020, I guess it was when right. it really uh when it really caught fire. So, so for those of us in the DFW area, why don't you tell me and tell our audience where your, your shops are located? Because I think there probably would be some people maybe that are just finding out about you that would like to check out what you got to have in, in those Yeah, stores. absolutely. So the, the, so the physical shops, I have three of them. Um, they're all out on the outskirts of the Metroplex. Uh, you mentioned Frisco, uh, Highland Village, which is where, um, where I live. And then there's also one in North Richland Hills. And they're all located inside of an antique mall chain called Painted Tree Marketplace or Painted Tree Boutiques or something. And it's nice because it's, uh, um, it's kind of uh, what I would describe as an upscale antique mall. Um, mm-hmm. It's not your typical kind of right. rundown right. antique mall that smells like your grandma's house because it's a glorified <laughs> garage sale. It's not yeah. that. This is all right. kind of boutique-ish. Um, yeah. It's it's very much, um, there's actually not a lot in there at all. Uh, and there's like 300 vendors in each of these. So it's it's what you'd expect. It's an old grocery store that they gut and they put up walls and you got several hundred vendors, but it's kind of unique in that almost all the vendors are selling new um, new or handmade type of items, whatever it may be, um, versus again, like secondhand stuff. So I have obviously some, you know, pre-owned records and things like that, but for the vast majority, it's, uh, it's just very, a very clean environment, which is what I liked about it. And, and, yeah. uh, you know, that being said, I don't get a lot of foot traffic from, um, the normal, 
uh, shopper within a, a painted tree marketplace because it's primarily women looking for gifts, um, you know, looking for the home decor, even clothing, a lot of things like that. So I'm definitely the outlier within these, um, which uh, I knew going in, but I know how social media works and I know how advertising works. And so the vast majority of the people who come into these establishments uh, to buy records is because they already know about me. Like you said, you kind of Googled it and found it, or they've seen an advertisement or I've kind of sent them in. So it does take a very proactive approach. It's not the type of thing where I can just drop off records and just forget yeah. about it. And hope they sell. Like That's not how this works. There's a lot, a lot that goes into it behind the scenes in regards to making sure that inventory is fresh and things keep moving and all that type, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I uh, just to share an experience I had. Uh, I think it was uh, yeah, it was North Richland Hills. That maybe is your latest one you put up. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I went there, I've learned this now. Uh, when I go in these, I just I ask someone where are where's NTX Vinyl located. Yeah, point point me to it. <laughs> yeah, because I will tell you, I the first Amazed time I did otherwise. That, I just went walking around, and I I, I was you know, I got a little frustrated, you know, by the time, sure. and then, you know, so, so just ask when you go in for them and they'll, the lady there was so proud that, that you guys were in there. She said, Oh, this is great. I never saw it. Come I want to show you. So she was very promotional, yeah. uh, frankly, in, in that. And I, I kind of, I stayed in there and I kind of was hanging around. I watched people who walked by your place and literally did a double take. They walked past it and then they stopped and they turned and they looked and they went, are those records? <laughs> yeah. It's, and they're it's locked to records. Yeah. Cause yeah, they don't, I don't think thing. they expect I mean, to see it. They don't expect to see it. I think is the thing. No, you're exactly right. And, and that's, and, and for people like yourself and myself and all of the vinyl enthusiasts, mm -hmm. um, it's commonplace. It's what yeah, we do. Why we're we there. <laughs> but we are the anomaly, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. 99 out of a hundred people have no idea that there are still records being manufactured today yeah. and and honestly that one out of the hundred is probably because they saw it at walmart let's be honest you know i mean it's, it's <laughs> few and far between and it, but it's hard to uh it's hard to remember that for people like us who live and breathe this but the reality is it's still a very small niche market um it's growing and the growth is uh, significant enough i think to where this thing is going to sustain and uh hopefully um, we'll have some some longevity, um, but yeah, but it's still very niche. But I but I love I love watching. I love being in the booth, which again I'm only there at these shops once or twice a week at most. Um, and when I am there, and people do walk by or do walk in, I love talking with people when I do get that chance or that type of thing. Because yeah, there are a lot of surprise looks, um, which is which is neat. The other thing I didn't mention, which was very important early on. Um, uh, when I kind of started ramping up the online business was that I launched an online shop, which is great because I can I sell records all over the country now. I, I don't do in, international, but anywhere in the US, you can go to ntxfinal.com and you can shop. But the most important thing and re the reason why I actually opened it even more so than being able to ship records, because I mentioned that really isn't my goal to just ship records, but, uh, but you can shop on the website and you can choose local pickup. And that's great because you can go to the site where there are thousands of titles available, way more than I have in my physical shops. And you can choose that and then I'll order it and have it behind the counter for you. So I've got 
lots and lots of customers these days who shop with me and just choose local pickup and then they swing by and that way they don't have to uh, they don't have to be there right on release day when it comes out to make sure to secure their copy of the indie exclusive or the limited edition one or whatever they just grab it online and they know i'm going to have it for them so that's become a really big driver to send people to the shops to pick up the records and of course they stop by the booth while we're there while they're there and that type of thing so that's been a great strategy as well and you don't have to box it up to ship it as well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I know, that's my least I favorite thing to do. That's my it is. I, and the thing is, my business, again, the business has evolved, right? I do um, do a lot more shipping these days. It is. But again, I've been in business three plus years. Yeah. And so it's taken me that long to get um, the confidence to do it, the, to handle the workload, the process to set it all up. Mm-hmm. Um you know, my wife helps me out a ton now. Um, she was a school teacher prior to the pandemic and she never went back to teaching and she's been helping me with the website ever since. So she handles all, I mean, you're talking about customer service and returns and damage albums. Sure. And, oh, yeah. I mean, people think it's real easy to ship a few albums when they're selling on Facebook groups and things like that. That's fine. Try shipping 500 of them in a month and try dealing with, you know, 25 of them come back because of the, the records damaged because of the mail or because it was a bad pressing and you got all the, you know, there's logistics in a oh, retail yeah. e-commerce business on any scale. And so it took, like I said, it took a good couple of years to us to get to a point to where we were comfortable enough to go, okay, yeah, we can sell more online now because we've got a lot of systems and processes in place that we're confident about using to where it's not overwhelming uh, work-wise, you know? So what would you say uh, in your business, uh, what has your growth been year over year, let's say from 2019 through now or whenever you started? Oh, God. I mean, I'm trying to put a think about percentage. My business since I started, so legitimately about three years since I opened the first physical location, um, I'm probably 50x, mm. something, something insane, something wow. where... When if I think back to what my little what now I have three three shops right just the physical shops not even counting online business but just those three shops when I first started the first one I'm thinking back to what I used to make per month and now I'm I'm easily making 10 20 times that and now I've got three of those shops and then you add on the online component and it's just like yeah it's off the charts like nothing I ever imagined I look at it every month and I'm still completely shocked like oh my god this is actually turning into a real business. Like I had <laughs> no foresight for that. I mean, long story short, the only reason I even started any of this is because I would spend too much money on records for my collection. <laughs> that was the whole thing. I was like, I'm spending too much money per month. How do I sustain this? Hmm, let's turn it into a business. Then she can't balk at it anymore. Cause then ah. it's getting income. <laughs> like that was the real deal. And it was like, I started acquiring collections and I realized that I don't need all these because I you don't need duplicates of every record. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have at least half of this collection that I can pass on to someone else. And I was just doing like everyone else and selling them on Facebook and doing that. And I kind of realized like, wait a second, I think there's an opportunity here. And again, this is, this is pre-pandemic when a lot of things were different, when you could actually find collections a lot easier. These days, it's getting more and more difficult to um, to do things like that. But, uh, but yeah, that was the genesis of why I kind of started all this is just like, I just wanted to keep collecting. It was really legitimately a, a maneuver so I could keep collecting personally. And then it just snowballed to the point to where here we are, you know, and wow. there was no business plan. I'll put it that way. 
<laughs> it it just kind of pulled you along. You just kind of <laughs> it did. It did as one step at a time. It's been completely organic, which has been amazing. I I will say the one thing I've I always say is like I don't do anything if it feels like I'm forcing it. Like if I feel like I'm forcing it, I just step back a little bit. So yeah. it's been baby steps, month after month, and now year after year. Um, you know, I try not to force anything. I only do it if it feels right. I only do it if it's, um, if it's something in most cases that I enjoy, um, Mm -hmm. that I'm excited about. And, and, and I would say 99% of the time it's trial and error. It's like, Hey, I wonder what happens if I do something like this point being wonder what happens if I start doing YouTube videos. I had no idea. Like, (laughs) believe me, I was the last guy who ever wanted to be on camera. Like, I'm not the type of guy who likes to get on camera and talk, believe it or not. (laughs) Here we are to where now I know the value of it. And I've gotten to a point where it's fun. So again, Mm -hmm. that's too, because thinking of the ideas and and all that, like, that's a big part of it. Sitting down and filming it for 20 minutes, like, you know, like, that's the work part. But the conceptualizing and coming up with how, what you're going to talk about. Yeah records I get to pull out and what the topic is going to be all of that. Like that's all the fun creative part. Um, so it, it's, you got to have that balance, you know, of, of the output versus the, the creative element to it. So yeah, it's been a fun evolution for sure. Great. Do you, uh, do you keep the same inventory or uh, in store as online or are those separate inventories? Not at all. They're totally separate. It's a great question. I get people all the time who ask me that. I even get people who will look on the website and then they'll show up at the store and be like, hey, I saw it on your website. I'm like, <laughs> not how this works. Yeah. It's, it's a different model for sure. At least I think it's different. I'm sure there's some other record stores out of the same, but, uh, but yeah, so my online site I am hooked into um, one of the largest distributors in the U.S. So you can go to my online site and you can choose from legitimately hundreds of thousands of titles, not only vinyl, but also CDs and DVDs, pretty much any sort of media. You can find that all on my website um, to purchase for in-store pickup or to have it shipped to you in the United States. But that's completely different than my little uh, physical shops. Whereas you've been there, they're, you know, they're small booths, you know, mm-hmm. the largest one is a uh, 20 by 15 or something, you know, and the other ones are maybe like 12 by 12. So there's small curated booths that, that house a tiny percentage of what the inventory is online. Um, so again, it's kind of a different model. I'm kind of experimenting with and seeing how that works. It does create some confusion sometimes, but all, but by and large, it's been a really successful experiment with people being able to utilize both of them. And then of course it, it allows me to, to branch out and, and sell records outside of the, the Metroplex, which is great as well. Sure. So none of your online product is used. It's all new. Correct. I don't sell any, I've made a, a, a very, um, I've, I've drawn a line that I do not sell pre-owned records online. The only place I'll sell some stuff online if it's pre-owned is on Discogs, um, sometimes on eBay, but mostly only on Discogs. And the main reason I only sell there is if it's higher end stuff. There's like, oh, I don't want to put a $250 albums in one of my booths. It'll sit, hey, it'll sit there for months. Oh, yeah. It'll get damaged because there's no one in the booth, obviously. Um, But no, so I only sell new vinyl online for the most part. Um, And that's because with with selling online, I've already mentioned a lot of the the work that goes along with that, with um, not only packaging and shipping, but returns and customer service and all that. Then you pile on the grading 
and the, oh, yeah. uh, the pre-owned uh, intricacies. And it's just too much because like, and, and then it becomes a scenario of I've got one of these. People ask me, I do, all, I do all kinds of online sales where I'll do like pop-up sales. And, are, and I've had people ask me, well, are you ever going to do anything that's like with vintage stuff, pre-owned stuff? I'm like, no, because then I can only sell one of them. Like, right. I'm in the business of scaling this thing. Mm-hmm. And if I've only got one copy of this, well, I'm going to make one person really happy, right? And then the, the, the 29 people behind them that wanted to buy it, they're not going to be happy because they missed out on it. Like that's a lose-lose situation in most scenarios. Um, so it's just not the business I'm growing online. So gotcha. all, all new records for me online, it's just, it creates a lot yeah. of, a lot of issues on the pre Yeah. Side. Which probably then, you know, that's reflection too, why maybe hold, uh, doing some of those higher end audio file types is not uh, lucrative or not, you know, because you could have say, well, oh. I'm only going to be able to get three of these, you know, and that's yeah. it. So yeah, Absolutely. there's Absolutely. all sorts. And again, that's yeah. just something I learned along the way. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's a, it's a great balance for me. What I've created where all of my pre-owned stuff goes into my shops as well as new inventory, but then online it's only, it's primarily pre-orders and new releases and catalog titles that come back around, you know? Um, so it's been a good balance there. And then, um, obviously bringing in the YouTube channel has been great for exposure and education. And it's also been great for business. Cause I've got a lot of people who are now buying from me who have seen me on YouTube, which has been great. Um, I'm hoping to maybe be able to ship internationally someday, but that adds another layer of complication and logistics, which we're just not ready for, um, at this point. So someday maybe, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, again, it's all been an evolution of just kind of seeing what works two topics sealed records and new records which obviously new records are sealed sure but one of the biggest things that i'm starting to see and hear in the vinyl community as a whole is the quality of the vinyl coming out these days sure as has had some issues and and i want to be clear here we're going to talk about this too this does not mean target walmart their stuff's bad and everything else is good they're made in the same plants that's <laughs> all a big, that's that's a big joke now if yep. you don't want to if you don't want to buy big box because you want to you know uh spend money in a small uh, independent and that like yourself that's great i believe in that i i agree but but product wise we got to realize that's not really what's happening they're not yeah. you know there's only so many pressing plants in the world and there aren't as yeah. many as we need so but this whole idea of of the quality of of record and uh, you know i know i tell everybody you get a new record uh clean it <laughs> because sure. the dirtiest records i see right now uh, are, are the ones coming out of the plants compared to what i already have that i've kept for years so you know what are you finding in terms of you know n- newer newer stuff uh, i mean even the high-end stuff mofi one steps oh, yeah. 100, 125 bucks i've got people who are telling me i got two album number twos or I got a dish warped album out of RTI, which is, uh, you know, return returning inventory is what I think they stand for because it's like they're, they're literally pressing only four thousand of a, a certain limited edition, and then people are having issues. So yeah. I think they're going to start a Facebook page for people that says all the people with two first sides contact all the people with two second sides and get together, and that's how you know because it's like. I don't know. It seems like uh, it's kind of crazy. So I wonder what you're experiencing in that area. Yeah, it is. It's a real thing. Quality control is an issue. And I get, so let's see. Oh, there's so much to unpack here. Couple, couple thoughts. <laughs> um, first, yes, there is a quality control 
control issue. I don't think anyone can dispute that. It does not matter where you buy it. They're all coming from the same plants. And that is if you're in the US, I think there's maybe 35, 40 plants now, but let's be honest, the vast majority of those are very small. So you're talking about handfuls of large, significant plants that are doing major runs of tens of thousands of albums a day or a week or whatever, you know? Um, so it boils down to, you know, handfuls of, of handfuls of places that are having the majority of the output. And from my perspective, it just comes down to the demand. I mean, they simply can't keep up. And when, when people or processes are overwhelmed with demand and they're running, literally running 24 seven, more mistakes are going to be made. That's my opinion. I've had people who dispute that, um, you know, unapologetically and say, that's not true. If your quality, if you have a great quality control process, you should not have issues. That's not the that's not how humans work. There are real people running these machines. I've been in fact, there's a pressing plant right here in Dallas. I've been there and there are real people putting records in sleeves, checking records, folding jackets, putting, running them through the shrink wrap machine. There are mistakes that will get made. There are things that get missed, especially when someone's been working, when you're running 24 seven shifts, you know? So to me, I hope that the issues um, start to subside over time, but the reality is the demand is just going to keep going up to a certain extent. Like, I don't think the demand will be going up for another 10 years, but I don't think we're at the end of it either. I think for the next couple of years, you're still going to see a lot of new collectors getting in on this and the demand is still going to continue to far outweigh the supply because it does not take days or weeks or months to open a pressing plant. It takes years. In fact, the pressing plant here in town, I know it took them three years to get uh, to double their capacity. They went from having two automated presses to four and they placed the orders for those two additional ones three years ago before the pandemic. And they just got them within the last couple of months. Right. And people ask me all the time, well, why, why don't, why don't people just open more plants? Why don't they open more plants? Who's they? No one knows how to do this. You know, and I've said this before and people took all offense to it, but the reality is the vast, vast majority making a generalization of people who know how to do this stuff. They aren't around anymore or they're retired. And they're not in the business. So you have a whole bunch of people like me, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, 60-somethings, who want to do this stuff. But guess what? They don't know how. They don't know how the machines work. They don't know where to source them. They don't know you know, how to get them made and how to maintain them and how to service them. And this, it's an entire industry being reborn before our eyes, right? I mean, I don't know who can dispute that. And so that's the reality of the quality control to me. It's not only people missing things because they're lazy or overworked. It's like a whole industry being reborn. It's like if cars stopped being made in 1995 and we were all zooming around doing something else travel-wise. And then all of a sudden everyone decided, no, no I want a car again. <laughs> like, okay, how do, we, how do we do this? Like, that's what's happening right now on some level, you know? Yeah. In, in pre-pandemic, we could keep up, we being the industry, because um, the demand wasn't where it is. But now it's just off the charts, you know, 10x, 50x of what the demand was pre-pandemic, at least from my point of view and what I see. And if you look at the numbers and sales. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think quality control is a real thing. I get records returned to me on a regular basis. Um, based, I don't sell tens of thousands of records a month. I'm not that big sure. of a shop. But of what I sell, which is many thousands of records a month, 
you know, I get handfuls of returns on new records and it's frustrating for the buyer. It's frustrating for me, but it's the reality of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I have all, all kinds of people who tell me, well, I've got two sides. I've got people who, t- and this is the most interesting part to me is I've got, there are many people who say what you alluded to of the records these days are not near as clean and the quality is not near as consistent as what was being pressed back in the heyday in the, let's say, 60s, 70s, 80s, when vinyl was the predominant physical format. And so they say, I don't buy any new records. I only shop for pre-owned stuff. But more and more, I'm hearing the opposite to where despite the quality control issues and despite the supply and demand issues, there are people these days who only buy new records. And I say, oh, you don't, you know, I've got this vintage copy of, I'm thinking of an exact scenario of Pink Floyd Animals. It's a 1970 press. It's an early press. I've got this one. It's like, oh no, I don't, I don't do, I don't do the pre-owned stuff. I'm like, really? No, 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 no. I can't stand any of that surface noise or any of any of the like people don't know how to buy pre-owned records. And so when it's new and it's in shrink wrap, there's so much more confidence there for them because they're just not knowledgeable. I'm not knocking them. They've just started doing this six months ago. So they don't have the confidence to go into a vintage store and know how to look at a record and know if they're getting a good deal, know if what they're buying is um, a good pressing or not, or all these different things to where at least if it's in shrink wrap, they, they have the confidence to know at least it's new and no one's played it before, you know? So there's, there's interesting habits developing um, things that are surprising me as a longtime collector, but it's interesting to see the way that the new, the new collector entering the market is kind of perceiving things, you know? Sure. Yeah. And as a old time collector myself, I I can see that. I mean, I will tell you, and I've got one right behind me and we, we didn't pre-plan this at all, but this pressing uh, dark side of the moon, it's a newer one. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's one that is great. It is really well done. Absolutely. But, but remaster doesn't always mean it's better. No. Repress doesn't always mean it's better. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no one size fits all answer. There is not. Uh, yeah. and, it, and also, it also doesn't mean it's worse. That's no, the other thing. Absolutely. It does. I hear people tell me all the time, oh, I don't touch the remasters. I'm like, what are you yeah. even talking about? You don't even know what remastered means because it could have been remastered from the original tapes, which means it's going to be a better job, you know? You're right. But, but look at look at the names on this one, though. We know exactly. those names. Look at the names. Oh. When you see Bernie Grunman on there, okay. You see James Guthrie, you see these guys, you got a much better chance. So knowing what you have, I mean, Chris Bell, I mean, there's just certain guys and, and, and Kevin Gray. I mean, there's just certain guys and certain processes. They wouldn't let their name go on it sure. if it were junk. That's the bottom line. So you got to get a little educated too, but you're right. It's, it's a mix. I mean, I will tell you in the 70s, the, the, a lot of the vinyl was junk. And the reason was the gas crisis, the material, they were recycling records. Literally, you yeah. would get a new record and you'd look at it in the groove. You could actually see a piece of a label of another record because it was recycled. Sure. Okay. So, so, you know, you got to know what you have. That's why I really respect stores that have that sell used vinyl that have some turntables set up. Sure. Where you can listen to it to see, is it okay or isn't it? Yeah. And again, that's the type of thing where I, I, I'm not saying this hearsay. People have told me they're like, I've asked 
um, do, do you use the, 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 the listening stations and, and record stores? And I've been told, no, no, no I don't do that. Cause I don't want to handle the records. And I don't really know. Again, it just comes out of confidence. People just yeah. don't know, you know, and, and if I put myself in their shoes, which is really hard. And I, I think, okay, if I walked into a big record store, which there are many in the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, and I just started doing this and all I owned was 20 records. Would I have the confidence to pick up a $30 record and take it out and go over to the turntable and drop the needle on it? It's not my turntable. I've never touched it. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like there's a, it's a great a, point. It's a real thing. And it it, again, it's just that confidence in the education level. Yeah. And there's nothing that can speed that up other than it's just time. It just takes time. Just like when you started collecting, I started collecting, it takes time to build that education and that confidence up. And certain newbies won't stick with it long enough to experience that, you know, they'll, they'll have a collection and it'll be a thing and they'll have a few records and eventually they'll get rid of it or pass them, pass them on to a friend and that'll it'd be one and done for them. But for the people who do stick with it over yeah. time, they'll learn how to do that and why they should do it and why it's so important to, to play test records or visually inspect them or how to grade them or how to look at a record online or in person and have at least some sort of educated opinion of, is this a good deal or not based on what it looks like, the jacket, the record, all those types of things. Um, it's just, and, and that's honestly why I started my YouTube channel was just like, because of the continual conversations and on some level frustration of people just not knowing what to do when they go into a record store or not knowing how to buy a record online or not. Um, so I, again, I started it up just with the, not that there's not a lot of them out there. There are a lot, a lot of really good channels, but I was like, man, I, I have all this knowledge in my brain. I might as well just spew it. If I can help people, whether yeah. or not they buy from me or not, I don't care. It's, it's about, right. about moving the hobby forward, moving right. the industry forward. Cause the more people who can get educated, that's going to propel this thing forward. And, and again, give it the longevity that I hope it has, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, similarly, like I wouldn't have thought, frankly, and it's a great point, and, I, and I'm sure it's 100% valid. You know, I would walk into a store and use the test station. I wouldn't think twice about it. You wouldn't think yeah. twice, but you're right. And, I, and even some records have a special section for their better vinyl. Yeah, you know, and, stuff, yeah, yeah, right. And, and I, that's usually where I go first. Of course. And, and they have a they have a station just for that, those records right there. And I wouldn't think twice about using it. But I mean, yeah. So I think about the store. Maybe the store should have someone who's around those stations and say, hey, if you want to listen to one, get our staff person to help you or whatever, you know, yeah. maybe to uh, make that comfort level grow a bit in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. The best, the, the best example I can give, which is what I tell people all the time is if you're a, let's say you're 25 year old adult right now and you walk into a record store and there it is Fleetwood Mac rumors. You got two choices. <laughs> One of them's the original from 1977. It's 15, $20. Cause it's a pretty clean copy. And it's got a little ring wear on it, but you know, you and I know that's a pretty nice copy because it's hard to find one that's, and you know, completely beautiful, right? And then you've got the one right next to it, $25 in shrink wrap. It is crystal clear cover as white as can be. Which one are you going to choose? If you're that brand new person and you've never bought records before, like oh, you're yeah. going like, what's the sure thing? If I'm going to spend my 25 bucks on this pre-owned one from 20 or 30 years ago or 40 years ago, or this brand new one. 
It's a no brainer. They're going to pick the one in the shrink wrap. Mm. Like that's just the world we live in. Like, yeah. you know, and it, it takes a lot, a lot, it takes a while. Like we've been saying for that 25 year old or whatever, however old they may be to get the confidence to go for that pre-owned one um, to understand why they should or, or, or how they even differ period. You know, that's the biggest thing is just like, what's the difference between the two, like you said about mastering and, and the process and the different pressings and all those types of things. So it's an interesting conversation and it, it it's, and it's ongoing. It's an ongoing debate. Yeah. You know, it'd be interesting to see the next few years as things evolve and see how many of these new, new collectors actually stick with it, you know? Yeah. And if that rumors album has a gold uh, hype on it, it says pressed at palace, it's even better, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we're getting, get into the minutia a bit, but mm -hmm. that's really what it, what it takes. So yeah. So, so sealed records, new records, we talked about, you know, the other thing I'll, I'll mention about sealed records, a lot of, there seems like there's a lot of older sealed records popping up, you know, they're sealed. And some of my, I, I'm not a big country music fan. And when, when I see them uh, like an auction, they're selling a sealed country album. I go, there's a reason that's still sealed. But anyway, <laughs> but, so. uh, Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. But, but, you know, the uh, sealed records that are older, I mean, they have other issues, you know, they, you know, they're probably, they could be warped to shrink over 20, Very 30 years. So. Yeah. Very I much. mean, so, so the value of that, you know, is, ugh, it's a little scary sometimes. And I, I've yeah, even got. Record. Yeah. The, the, the pre-owned, well, I guess, yeah. Pre-owned sealed, which is a weird right. thing, you know, yeah. older records are sealed. They, they're, it's a, they're a scary proposition a lot of times. Um, because you don't know what's in there. You don't know how it's been affected over the years. And to be honest with you, um, they're harder to sell a lot of times. Like I, I've gotten collect entire collections of sealed albums that people have never opened really? from, um, you know, 60s, 70s and stuff like that. And it's harder because they command a much higher price because it's sealed. But at the same time, you've got to get the right buyer to understand that they're taking a chance on that because I can't open it and play test it. I can't see if it's warped to your point. And so mm -hmm. uh, there come, there's a different set of circumstances, circumstances with that type of album that, uh, that is always a little interesting. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a little bit of a buyer beware situation actually, but, but, uh, but like you said, they, they tend to uh, get more money potentially from oh. the right, from the right buyer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that type of thing. So, you know, I always say, well, if you're so brave with it, and you have it, just open it up and upgrade your copy. And then if you find out it's a good one, you can upgrade it. If you find out it's not, then now you found out <laughs> Absolutely. the Absolutely. hard way, the hard way. Yeah. So what's your, um, what's your take on, uh, and I know you probably don't carry these overtly, but uh, audiophile pressings with sure. that term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't carry a lot as far as NTX vinyl. I have attempted it. My buyers, um, it's probably something where I need to experiment with it again. It was going back a while where I would stock some kind of MoFi titles or analog production type titles, and they just didn't move a lot for me. I would love to stock a lot more of that stuff. Um, it's getting harder to these days, honestly, because it's hard enough to buy them as a consumer, much less as a wholesaler. Like they sell out. So quickly they sell out on pre-order. So where by yep. the time shops even have them available, are are able to purchase them, it's like everyone who wants it already either got them or it's just or they're gone completely. But uh, but yeah. So I'm I am not an audiophile. I say this all the time on my channel when it's like, I mean, the audiophile thing is really tough for me because, um, you know, I was in a rock band for 
10 years standing in front of a Marshall half stack playing really loud music. So my ears, I guarantee you are very different than your ears and very different than any other's ears. And then I've got my turntable and my receiver and my preamp and my sub, and that's all different than yours. Point being, it's all going to sound different on everyone's different system. So I really struggle with that. And so I'm always very upfront when I talk about the quality of sound of a record, I always say to my ears, it sounds great. Mm -hmm. That's all I can go on. All you can ever say. You're right. All I can go on. I see, all, yeah, I see all these other videos and I watch them. I love them where they're doing the shootouts of this. Pressing Steve Westman and whatever. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's an entire yeah. community of people who live by those and I'll watch them every now and then. But to be honest, like I just go with what sounds good to me. So I'll get, you mentioned the Fleetwood Mac uh, palace press. It's unbelievable. I just got it. And I've had that. Re- I have three or four different copies of that record already. And this one is on a whole different level. It's, yeah. you know, and that's the double ear. 45, the double 45. Exactly. That's the 45. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. the 45 uh, RPM pressing. And, uh, but that's a good example, you know, just like, I didn't really know if I'd be able to hear the difference on that one. I can on other albums. I have, people have told me like, Oh, that's a terrible one. I'd be like, to me, it sounds great. Like that's all <laughs> I can do is, is tell you what my ears hear. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a frustrating part of the, uh, the hobby, I think, um, because I think that audiophile community, um, I think it scares a lot of people. I think it scares a lot of people off where people are like, oh God, I don't know what to buy. There's, you know, you can go look up, name your album. You can go look it up if there's an audiophile pressing and people are like, oh, that one's too bass heavy and this one's too that and this one's too that. And that's when if you're a, a novice collector at all, you're just like, oh God, I don't know what to buy now, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I just try and tell it like I hear it. And I yep. just say, you know, hey, you know, buy, buy what you love and buy what sounds good to you and stick with that. That's all you can do. Like, in, unless you're going to go into that audiophile territory and territory and spend a whole lot of money on a system and want to get into that conversation. And that's it's kind of a almost a niche within a niche. It's a hobby within a hobby, you know, getting in that auto audiophile territory. It's fascinating yeah. to me. I love it. And I love getting, I've got a, you know, I've got a small little cube of, Bubble Fidelity records and some analog productions, but that's about it. Like it's a mm-hmm. very small portion of my collection just because they cost so much period. Like, sure. You know, the people amaze me, the people who only collect those, it's, that's amazing. <laughs> Talk about an investment. I mean, it puts normal collecting to shame when you're paying $7,500 plus for every single album. Like that's crazy. Like to me, uh, to me, you got to really love an album to spend that premium you know, in the first oh, place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. And I, yeah, you know, I've been doing that since like in the early eighties, when MoFi first came out, I, I was buying their stuff. Of course it was 19 bucks at the time or whatever, you know, yeah. Hell, uh, I remember just a few years ago, probably five, 10 years ago, I remember walking into Josie records, which is our big local shop here. Yep. One of the biggest in the nation. And I, rem- I distinctly remember walking into Josie and they had one kiosk that was all mobile fidelity records. Cause I remember seeing the band at the top and I didn't know what it meant. This is probably mm. 10 years ago. I didn't really know what that meant, but I saw the price tag on all of them and it they were like 39 99 or 49. And I was like, Oh, I'm not touching those. And now looking back, I'm like, Oh God, those are all like 
so expensive. You know, I mean, we, we all have those stories, but I distinctly remember because again, I just wasn't educated. Yeah. I, I wasn't that far enough long in the hobby yet to where that really mattered to me. Cause to me, I was just trying to acquire any record that I liked, you know, to, to continue to build my collection and educate myself. I just, it just takes time to get there because it's just like anything. It's just, you know, it's just like if you start, you know, getting into classic cars or, or sports cards or anything, it, it takes years to learn how yeah. these things work, how an entire industry and a hobby works because there's so many nooks and crannies of, of different styles and types and all these types of things. And so it's, it's not a light switch where you can be like, Oh yeah, I, I, I collect now and I, I know all there is to know, like, it, like it's, you're constantly learning. And I think that's one of the most, the funnest parts about it. And the thing that keeps people, myself included, and probably yourself too, engaged with it is because uh, there's always something new to learn, something new to listen to, um, a new angle to take or, or those types of things, you know, it's what makes it fun. Yeah. And you use the word niche. There are a lot of rabbit holes between the equipment and the records and all the componentry that go in it. Uh, so there's, yeah, the audio, back to just quickly, the audiophile piece is, is there can be a lot of people in that genre that really, you know, they scare people, as you said, and they also can be pretty snobbish, I guess I would say, for lack of a better term. Pretty like, snobbish? Come on, let's yeah. not be nice. <laughs> they can be jerks. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like if you don't have a tube amp, then, you know, you don't have a oh, system yeah. or if you don't have, yeah. you, you know, and there are varying degrees of better. I mean, there are, <laughs> but people have constraints. They have physical constraints. They have budgetary constraints. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people do what they do. So it doesn't advance uh, us as a whole, in my opinion, when people start doing that. Um, it's, right. it's, uh, it's really, it really diminishes uh, the form. And I really, I have a problem with it because I buy some audiophile records I always have, but, you know, I'm running an NAD amp from the 80s. That's uh, It's 40 watt per channel, but it's got like 3 dB of headrooms, which means it can go a lot louder for mm -hmm. short periods, you know, because that's really all you need. You're not sure. going to listen to 100 watts sustained, really. So, you know, understanding that, because I would rather tell people, hey, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars for yeah. an amp. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars for a, a turntable. You have to get a good turntable. It doesn't ruin records. You got to get a good cartridge. That sounds good to you. Yeah. Because a cartridge and speakers, in my opinion, are the two biggest game changers in sound beyond the source, of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because they are essentially the two transducers in a system, the cartridge and then the, the speakers. And, and so people have to find out what sounds good to them. I, as yeah. you said, there is no right or wrong. I mean, our yeah. own hearing varies, as you said, it varies tremendously. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the thing about, you know, when people start showing sine waves and digital and, and it's like, okay, that's fine. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you've got to listen to it and determine how it sounds to you. Yeah. So, and, and I, that whole kind of argument of, or, or the, the scenario of, of, of the newbie showing that they're still using a suitcase or a low end or, or even when I, I did like a tour of my listening room and I got all kinds of flack on YouTube for, Oh, I can't believe, or, I can't believe where your chair's at, or I can't believe that you're using that 
amp, like, you know, like all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, you people don't understand. Like why, like just scroll on, just keep moving. Like, I don't understand the idea of um, putting, it's just, so it's what social media perpetuates yeah. putting yeah. people down to put yourself up. Like that's yeah. a very frustrating thing within not just vinyl, but just in general, sure. but, uh, but it, it happens a lot and it is frustrating. And, but, you know, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of people that understand that you've got to start somewhere. Like there are no, there's very few people who are lucky enough to be like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to explore record collecting. And then they go drop $5,000 on a turntable. <laughs> like who does that? You know, very few people, um, you know, and so I think you've got to have a starting point. And these days, the entry point is probably lower than it should be. You know, like I hate that there are 30 or $50 turntables, like because it sets people up for failure in a lot of ways. It sets people up to, yes, potentially damage their records, but even worse, it creates an experience to where they're going to be like, oh, this doesn't sound very good. Man, vinyl's not very, yeah. I thought vinyl was supposed to be all about the sound. And, and you know, they, they don't understand yeah. that they bought a $50 turntable. So it's like, they're never going to get that. Right. Um, but the, and the other thing too, which I'm constantly telling people because I get endless comments specifically on YouTube where people, I will show a record, whether I'm selling records or unboxing records or talking about record, whatever it is. And people will be like, yeah, but is that is that a digital is that a digital remaster? Why do you even own that? And like, there's way more reasons to listen to a record than just the sound of the record. Like, that's one of like 20 reasons that I choose to listen to records. You know, the sound is one of them, and it's a very important one. But there's way more reasons than that, and and it's frustrating to me that people don't see that because they're just like, we'll just get the CD then. I'm like, no, it's two different things. It's not apples to apples. You know, first of all. I don't have a CD collection. I have a record collection. So for me personally, I want to continue to add to this collection in this medium. Like I'm not a multi-format guy. A lot of people collect multi-formats. That's totally cool. I'm not. And so for me, it's like my entire situation, whether it be the physical location or just mentally, everything is set up for vinyl because that's what I truly love. And so even if the CD, let's say the CD sounds a little better or the CD is the same quality audio as the record, I still prefer the record because guess what? I have a turntable, a listening room, my speakers, all of those things are set up because that's how I consume music 95% of the time. So for me, it's about more than just like, what's the sound of it? You know, like it's very important. Right. Obviously, I want everyone wants to hear music the best, best quality possible. Um, but it, it's it's about the whole experience of it, of you know, of owning a record and having having a collection of records and all those different things that go into uh, the physicality of it and the, the kind of ritual of it. That's all um, very important to me as much as the sound. It's all it's a it's a all connected. You know, it's not just one thing or the other. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and it's like, there are, I mean, you, you have to know what you like, of course, and, and everybody has different genres. I mean, I know that like, for example, jazz can sound amazing, you know, and, but I'm just not big into jazz, sure. but, but I can respect the musical quality of what 
it can be you know reproduced and how it sounds Mm -hmm. but to say that i'm going to sit there and listen to jazz that's just not me but i don't have to put that down or i don't have to say well that's you know not you know and so so yeah i think it is it is a matter of getting in your lane whatever multiple lanes whatever you're in and and just saying this is where i'm at and this is what i enjoy And, and, and my thing is if 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 I wanted purity and not background noise, then I wouldn't have vinyl. I know that. I mean, that's just a physical reality, right? Yeah. But it's but it's part of it's part of what you know tells me the format, what it is, and how it feels, because it does feel different when you listen to it. It does feel uh, the Ward Warmers use. That's one I use. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just has that richness. I grew up with that richness. So when mm-hmm. I first started to hear CDs, I went. And that's shrill. Harsh. Yes. Yeah, it's shrill. It's accurate, but it's shrill. And And and, that's accurate. That's a great word. Two thoughts on that. One, uh, I've never heard anyone put this conversation uh, more eloquently than Neil Young about sucking the feeling out, like, because he's done studies (laughs) on it and written books on it in regards to um, how accurate the digitized versions are. And yes, they're accurate, but that feeling and the, the emotion is sucked out and it's not something you can see in zeros and ones. Right. No. So I, I firmly believe that. Um, and I, I think the, uh, um, I lost the second point, but yeah, I mean, I, I think um, that's a real thing. Um, and I think, again, I think it plays in to the whole ex- experience. It's not just um what you hear it's the visual of the record spinning it's the visual of it in my room like there's so much more that kind of plays into that emotional attachment to it versus and i'm not knocking a cd but that's the example we're using if i have a cd and i put it i put it in a player and it closes in a drawer and i don't even know it's there anymore so to me personally that's no different than just hitting stream and mm-hmm. streaming it on my Sonos speakers, like, cause it's out of sight, out of mind. That's mm-hmm. one of the big things for me that I love about vinyl is that it's a visual thing too. I'm connected to it because I can see it. It's literally moving and I can't walk out of the room or I can, but then when it's finished, I've got to run back. So I may as well stay in the room. So guess what? It just engaged me to stay in the room. So most of the time, 99% of the time, if I'm going to put on a record, I sit down in that room while that record's spinning because I don't have an automatic turntable. So when it's finished, I have to know I've got to be there. So it's that um, concept that is hugely important to me because I listen to way more music because I'm forced to. And I say that in a positive way um, because it's there versus again, I could put a CD on or any other, take any other format. They all stop and they end, whether it's digital or any other format, it's just kind of, mm-hmm. it can become background music very easily where to me, it's like, I feel like I'm committing to it more, not only by owning it, um, but then also by choosing to play it. And, and so mentally I'm way deep into that now to where it's a conscious choice. If I'm doing stuff around the house, I'm not spending records, but, but after I'm done doing stuff around the house, I'll make a <laughs> conscious effort to be like, okay, I've got an hour. I'm going to go sit down and catch up on some email or whatever while I listen to this. And it's a very concerted thing to be in that room while it's happening, you know? 
yeah, it's an experience. And I think that's the situation you have. I mean, yeah. and I know you've got now your nice translucent, uh, you know, you got your Lily D's and you got your, uh, your platter now. All lit very up. visual. It's yeah. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. It's very, yeah, it's, it, it is. And, and yeah, it's, it's an experience. It's not just, uh, the sterility of having something play. Uh, now, now, you know, it, it, convenience. Yeah. If, if you're, driver's convenience and you got a different perspective on it there's no oh, doubt totally. yeah, yeah yeah what do you like what do you like best what do you like most about vinyl records the inconvenience or the expense like yeah right that's the joke yeah. yeah i love that joke and it's yeah. spot on i tell people all the time it's, and it's true and i can laugh at myself with that yeah it's completely inconvenient it's it's taking over my house and my life and i'm spending way too much money on it but it's absolutely what i love so you know yeah yeah, and it's and it's so great to see uh, people from your generation who, you, you know, I mean, they had the CD kind of as the default, you know, oh, and yeah. uh, and didn't really have to uh, to make this alignment. But uh, and I think it's part of why it's back. I mean, uh, a lot of people, a lot of friends I know, got rid of their records in the late '80s. Oh, yeah. And I, and I remember thinking. Um, yeah, that's that's you know that's really a shame because some things have emotional connections to me when I was a kid. I mean, sure. I can remember. I'll put on a, I can put on a, like a Rolling Stones song like "Get Off My Cloud" or a Roy Orbison song like "Pretty Woman." I can remember the day I bought the record. I can remember where I was, the shop I was in. I mean, I remember that when. Alan Sherman's novelty 45 hello mother hello fada came out it cost a dollar not 50 cents like every other one it was a dollar why I don't know but it was a buck and yeah. and it was a big deal it was it was so different and and but but you know there are all these other methods are kind of like eh you know it just happens and you don't yeah. think about it no, so I, yeah I think that's huge I, I talked yeah I talked the memories attached to artifacts to real things are substantial and important and so much i say this all the time like pretty much every physical thing we have these days as a generalization is all here now mm -hmm. like we don't oh, have yeah. we don't have a map anymore we don't have a calculator we don't have a telephone we don't have a camera we don't have a vcr we don't have a dvd player we don't like all these things are sucked into apps and so I firmly believe, and I've talked to plenty of people who uh, are in even the younger generation than mine. So, you know, um, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z and these people are starting to, to propel this industry forward. That's why is because they're walking into Target or into Walmart or maybe even to a record store. And they're like, what's, oh my gosh, what is that Taylor Swift picture over there? And then they pick it up yeah. and they're like, there's music in here. What it's a cal about? it's a calendar. I think, I think it's, a it's a calendar. I guarantee you. They're like, there's there's actually music inside of this. What are you talking about? Because they've yeah. never known again, as a generalization, there's a large majority of people who have never known music other than pulling it up on their phone, on YouTube or streaming in the background from Spotify or whatever. And so that's a real thing. And that's not just um, that's not just vinyl. That's that's I think a big mental thing that's happening with a lot of different industries of the physicality of real things coming back in importance. I don't know how long that'll last. I don't know if it's novelty or not, but it's certainly another factor, one of many that's playing into why the demand is so, so um, high right now for records, because it's a physical thing that people can touch, people can own, whereas everything else is gone, you know, and, and, you know, your generation, my generation, we knew, we, we see the before and the after.
Like we see, like I can go through the apps on my phone and I can show you all of them where there used to be a physical component, but someone in Gen Z, you know, like millennials and Gen Z, no, like they don't know that there used to be a map that you folded out or, a, you know, all these types of things or a telephone that actually was a physical thing that was hooked to a cord that you couldn't right. run the room, all that <laughs> stuff, you know, they don't, they don't have the before and after. So to them, the record is like this epiphany, like, oh my God, like there's a real thing here, you know, no different than um, like a baseball card or something like that, which is another industry that is just exploding and evolving like at a rapid pace because it's a physical thing you can actually hold. Like that's it. Like, you know, and there's much more to it on, on the vinyl side because it produces a beautiful sound as well. But, uh, but yeah, that's again, it's just been the perfect storm the last couple of years of all of those different types of things um, generally generationally and timing wise. And then you throw the pandemic on top of it in the last couple of years, it's just been a, a real roller coaster to see uh, what's happening in the industry, you know? So there you have it, G.I. Sanders, who started a business in the midst of the pandemic, and it was fueled by that. And now he has three operational stores here in the DFW area, Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, that is. And he also now is selling on Whatnot, a platform that is kind of like a quick action auction site. So again, you can see him there on Whatnot or go to his website at ntxvinyl.com. So for now, David Bianco here at the Safe and Sound Texas Audio Excursion, thanking you for joining me on today's Vinyl Community Podcast. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.